there. This is Shoot the Flick. I'm Frankie Sparks. And I'm Scott Eisenberg. And we are a married couple who like to shoot the shit about movies. That we do. That we do. And this week we are celebrating Valentine's Day. (laughs) We are also in the midst of my introducing Scott to movies that were based on book month Ah, (laughs) your takeover in honor of the time of valentine's i am going to introduce scott to a movie that uh, you know in my defense (laughs) i haven't seen this for many many years in her defense she's already defending herself we haven't even introed the movie yet listen we're watching a walk to remember released in 2002 and for those of you who don't know it is based on a 1999 novel of the same name written by nicholas sparks now, there is no relation between me and Mr. Nicholas Sparks, so I have no of. reason, familial or otherwise, to defend him unnecessarily. Does he write cheesy, romantic drivel? Sure. And, and this book is no exception. However, I did still uh, fall into the romanticism of this film, as well as the book when I read it tr- in preparation for this show. I'm not ashamed to admit it. Uh, this movie is another one of those sappy romance movies that Nicholas Sparks seems to come out with every couple years or so. Honestly, if you see Nicholas Sparks' name, you can pretty much guess the formula almost to a T. And this was it. It certainly is. This movie came out when I was a, a mere a mere tween. I enjoyed it then. And while I do recognize now that it is incredibly dated in a lot of ways, I did still kind of feel those nostalgic feels of a tweeny bopper in love. And, you know, Scott, considering that you and I met in middle school and began our teenage romance during those times that are kind of represented in this film, I would think you'd be a little more sensitive and and susceptible to those feels, but apparently not. Apparently you're dead inside, and that's that's fine. I accept you for who you are. Yes, I am dead inside. Uh, There's so much wrong with this movie, and it's by no means the worst rom-com. It's not a com. (laughs) There's no com in this. Um, there is simply rom and some melodrama, but we'll we'll get there. <laughs> this is by far not the worst rom I've ever seen, <laughs> but by no means does that mean it's good. Before we get into the specifics of this particular movie, I do want to talk about Nicholas Sparks movies in general. Now, I have only seen four of them out of the 11 that have come out over the years. From what I understand, Scott has only seen this now and The Notebook. Is that correct? That sounds right. So I do think that there is a formula that potentially can make a Nicholas Sparks movie good. Because like I said, I have seen four of them. Two of them I like and two of them I do not. And I think because there there's a A plus B equals good movie. And the two movies I like... One of them being this one has the A plus B. Uh, And the other one is The Notebook because I feel like, I feel like most, well, I don't want to say most people like The Notebook, but most people that like romantic movies like The Notebook. 
I'm going to put that out there right now. Maybe it's a hot take. But I think most people that like romantic movies are down with the notebook. But Scott, like I said, is dead inside, so he doesn't like either of them. Nope. So, like I said, there have been 11 Nicholas Sparks film adaptations. They've quite historically had negative critic scores and more positive-ish audience scores, which I guess is to be expected in cheesy movies such as these. Well, when you look at something like this, the movie-making aspect of this movie is not good. (laughs) Well, in this particular movie, A Walk to Remember, I will agree with you. Because there there were technical aspects of this movie that were, like, so bad. bad. (laughs) But as a kid, I didn't really take notice of that. I was just, again, like, little Twitter-padded tweeny bopper very much into the romance of it which is what what gets me to the the working formula okay so there are two movies in particular in this 11 that have a very negative critic score but a pretty damn positive audience score a percentage difference in the 50s like for example walk to remember has a 27 percent critic score and a 78 percent audience score so that's a pretty incredible discrepancy right And the only one who has a bigger discrepancy than that is The Notebook. So the reason I think that they work is because of two elements. So you're ready for my working elements because I feel like you're going to fight with me about it. Okay, hit me with these working elements. Okay, number one, I think you would even agree with me on, and that is chemistry. I think, oh no, he's doing the blinking thing that he does when he doesn't agree with me. I believe that the couple in this movie, which we'll get to in more detail, as well as the couple in The Notebook, had a lot of chemistry that carried the movie through and made the audience at least care about their relationship. Are are you going to disagree with that even? Their chemistry's fine, I guess. It's not birdemic bad, but it's not. Oh, I thought you were going to say it's not birdemic chemistry between the fucking Alan Bach and the fucking girl. Anyway, sorry. I got scared for a second. but <laughs> No, it's not, it's not that bad. But there's nothing in between these two where I'm like, yes. I disagree. I think the notebook chemistry is significantly stronger, but I definitely think that they have chemistry in this. Now, the second element, <laughs> I feel like you're definitely going to disagree with me on this. Um realism (laughs) now just hold on (laughs) wait 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 don't okay this movie is a pretty simple story forget about the notebook for a second because the notebook is a little bit more i wouldn't say far-fetched because i mean it's kind of not that different from us really if you think about it it's more dramatized obviously but we were a couple that were together when we were young broke up and then got back together years later that's basically the notebook without all the bells and whistles okay So that's realistic, if you want to put it that way. And then with this movie, spoiler alert for a movie released 20 years ago, it's a young couple in high school. They're seniors. They're they're in love. And then there's a person in the relationship who becomes very ill. And illness, unfortunately, is a, a part of life that, you know, no matter what age you are or where you come from in life, sometimes that happens. So in a relationship when a couple has to deal with that it's not an abnormal thing it is there is an element of realism there a lot of nicholas sparks movies don't have that kind of realism at all and i'm not saying that this movie handles romance necessarily in 
the most realistic and not melodramatic cheesy ass way but it's it's not as egregious as other Nicholas Sparks movies and that's where the chemistry also kicks in to kind of like for you can forgive some of the cheesy shit because the chemistry between the two actors and the two characters is so good and you're giving me looks I see it over there what do you have to say to my my theory my equation for a good Nicholas Sparks movie now the realism okay it can I see some of this happening? Yeah, of course. It's not so out there where it's like, oh, there's space wizards. Um, well, <laughs> but okay. somehow I think you would believe like a you know fucking a Marvel movie more succinctly than you believe <laughs> the fucking shit. Some of the shit that happens in this movie. But again, you're dead inside, so whatever. Well, well an 18 year old who can fix his car perfectly after crashing it that's what you have a problem with uh, that's like any movie with a guy driving a fucking cool car well that's fine i'll give him that Psh, uh, but building reaching. building a telescope you wouldn't build me a telescope honey the, if dear, i wanted to see a comet dear, <laughs> before dear, i die <laughs> if even if i could do that do you know how technically like accurate you have to be to build a goddamn telescope mandy moore did it scott <laughs> okay no mandy moore bought a telescope she built it they said in the movie she built it that was a store-bought telescope i don't give a shit if they said she built it Whoa. okay you're gonna call mandy moore in a walk to remember a, a, a little girl who's dying of leukemia you're gonna call her a liar damn straight how dare you of course, you got the bad boy. Girls love a bad boy. But I can change him. Yeah. I well, can change him. I mean, yeah. I can make him a Christian faring boy. Oh, Jesus. I mean, listen, I was never very much into the religious aspect of this movie or the book, but I mean, it it's, it's part of the book and the movie. It is what it is. But the general overall formula of Nicholas Sparks is you know very obvious every time pretty much it's two pretty white people who fall in love against adversity and sometimes end up together and sometimes don't but really at the end most of the time they end up together when I say that the notebook and walk to remember good movies I still very much enjoy both of them I I wouldn't say the Nicholas Sparks franchise is like good (laughs) or the most realistic depiction of love but romance films aren't about necessarily all the time a realistic depiction of love it's more about just the lovey-doveyness of it these movies don't draw me like i can enjoy i get that they're not made for you they're not made for me but i can enjoy a good rom-com i need something to laugh at to get me like oh uh hugh grant is being a wacky, stupid guy. I can laugh at that. Okay. Like, I can laugh at... That's fair. You know, I need something like that to just, like... The melodramatic bullshit is the melodramatic bullshit. I mean, to be fair to Scott, this movie, again, is not made for him. And it's really... It's not even made for me anymore, to be perfectly honest with you. I definitely didn't... I still liked it. I enjoyed the watch. But I definitely didn't like it as much as I did when I was younger. Because it's just not... It's it's more made for teen girls, and that's, you know, it is what it is. Not to mention that, I, I, I noticed the editing as a guy who's done video editing. I did, too. Like I said, technical aspects of this movie were really, like, fucking screwy, and you don't realize that when you're a kid, but as an adult, we've reviewed a lot of movies by this point, and it's like, holy crap, the editing in particular is really rough. And then there's the script, 
which it's cheesy. Oh, it's cheesy, but it's also bad. Did well, we did we take things like, oh, I need this line from the book definitely, but I can't have anything else from this page, so I'm just gonna take this line from the book and put it here, um, yeah. and then kind of try yeah. and fill in the scene here, but th- not really because it doesn't fit this damn line in the scene. Well, now now that we've kind of discussed the overall Nicholas Sparks formula, that I I think I'm more lenient maybe with it, but even I wouldn't fully defend it. As at least it's not as I know what it is and I accept it for what it is. I would say that you acknowledge at least what it is. You don't accept it for what it like. It's just like that doesn't mean it's good, and that's fair. I don't think in most cases I think it's bad, but I think in a couple of kind of lightning in a bottle type cases, it's been good and watchable. Simply, mostly I would say because of the chemistry between the two lead actors. So let's let's get into more this movie, okay? Maybe someday we can do a rewatch of The Notebook and we can compare and contrast, but mostly compare because all of these movies, again, are about pretty white people that fall in love. But <laughs> and someone's dying. No, not all the time someone's dying. Oh, they're already dead. Maybe a ghost. Oh, my God. Okay. <laughs> Jeez Louise. So um, A Walk to Remember, directed by Adam Shankman who directed several movies, including The Wedding Planner with J-Lo and McConaughey. Okay, I remember that. Did you like that? I, Do you remember that movie? I haven't seen it in a long time, but I remember it being cute. I, I remember it being cute, but you have McConaughey and J-Lo, so it's kind of meant to be funnier. Yeah, no, that movie's definitely got yucks in it. But, yeah. And then he wrote movies like The Pacifier with Vin Diesel. Yeah. The uh, film adaptation of the musical Rock of Ages, which was bad. I like yeah. the Broadway musical much better. Uh, this film was written, as we mentioned, Scott did not like the script very much. I mean, I didn't love it either. I don't think it's fucking like, you know, Oscar material here. It's, again, teeny bopper bullshit. And I fucking fell for it at, you know, 13 or whatever, whenever I watched this movie. It is written by Karen Jansen, who has a, an interesting filmography. The movies I recognize are in there. Had a specific theme. Uh, she wrote Free Willy and Dolphin Tale, among other films. So she had a very aquatic theme for a minute. She wasn't responsible for Splash? Uh, no, although we are uh, Splash, speaking of Splash, Daryl Hannah's in this movie. I'm going to get there. She's pointless. Um <laughs> Yeah, this was a big old flop with a $118 million budget. It grossed a worldwide dollar amount of $47.5 million. So it didn't wait, even make half its budget wait, wait, back. Wait, 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 wait. What, what? $118 million. million. I'm guessing a lot of that went to Mandy Moore. Yeah, probably. Because Mandy Moore was the shit at this time. I guess, yeah. I guess she was, she's kind of a pop star. But even still, that's a lot of fucking money. So one one fun fact I do want to mention before we kind of get into this, which I thought was kind of funny. Uh, this movie was filmed in North Carolina and shared many of the same sets as the show Dawson's Creek, which is basically like it made sense to me when I heard this because I was like, oh, this is basically Dawson's Creek, but with cancer. See, I... <laughs> Like, not to be crass, but, like, that's basically what this movie is, if you really, like, want to dumb it down. I've never seen Dawson's Creek. I just know the theme song and then yeah, the Family obviously. Guy parody of it. I don't want to wait for my lunch to get colder. Why can't I eat it now? All those, like... 
teeny bopper bullshit shows kind of missed me like the the Gilmore Girls, Dawson's yeah, Creek. I never watched those a great deal either. I've seen like little bits and pieces because my sister is actually more into like she really loves the Gilmore Girls and all that stuff. So I never got into that. If anything, I watched. Uh, I've mentioned it a couple of times on the show, but the only like really like teen drama show I watched growing up was Degrassi, <laughs> and like I kind of gave up after a certain point. Was it after? Drake left or before Drake left? I think What's- I left after Jimmy, who's actually Drake's character, went in the wheelchair. So it was after that, but before he actually left the show, I think. And now that was because of Spinner, right? Yeah, Spinner literally got him shot. Let's not talk about this. <laughs> you did that on purpose because you know I'm going to get into it. Anyway, <laughs> I-, I definitely liked the book better than the movie. This is the only Nicholas Sparks book I've ever read. And I read it years ago because of my interest in this movie, but I had totally forgot about it because I hadn't read it for years and years. So I reread it before we did this episode and it's fine. It's a very fine book. There are definite differences uh, that we're going to talk about. The main difference though is the time period. Again, this movie was released in 2002. The movie is very much of that time period, like late nineties, early two thousands. The book, however, it, it takes place in the 1950s. What? Yeah. <laughs> That's like the main overarching difference. There are differences in the actual plot, slight differences, but that's like the big, I guess because they figured no teens are going to watch a fucking movie (laughs) set in the 50s, which is like a fair, I think that was the right thing to do, actually. I I guess it's just. That's the right call. Do you really think this would have been better if it was set in the 50s? I don't know. It's just such a weird change that I'm like, the 1950s, when you do something in the 1950s, the technology, the way we talk, the certain things in our lifestyle right, is so vastly different right. than 2002. You're right. You're absolutely correct. The person that really had to take the brunt of that on was probably Mandy Moore because her character in this movie is deemed as very conservative and like old fashioned, for lack of a better term. So maybe she wouldn't yeah. seem like she fits into yeah. the 2000s era, but I feel like she does a great job of like giving that character a modern feel while also keeping that conservative, like Jesus-loving fucking persona. Her, her character makes so much more... If you place this in the 50s and he's a greaser and she's the God-fearing church woman... That's basically how it is in the book. That makes so much more sense. So this is fucking Greece with a dying girl. Well, no. I mean, to be fair to Nicholas Sparks, the book as well as the movie is dedicated to his sister, Danielle, who died of cancer in the year 2000. So this was like a personal, more personal story to him because of her. So I don't think it was, I don't think in his mind it was Greece, but with cancer. (laughs) Just putting that out there. I think like he wanted to write a story that could relate to her because of probably her situation and stuff like that okay and i have a random question okay why is the book in the movie named a walk to remember oh they never reference it in the movie that's true in the book when they spoiler alert when they get married at the end she's in a wheelchair 
and she's like, I want to, she's st- like standing there with her dad at the end of the aisle. And she says, I want to walk down the aisle to my husband, you know, and the book is told through Landon's perspective, who is the, the male lead. And he says in the book, watching her walk down the aisle towards me was like a walk to remember something along those lines. It was a very cheesy line, but that's the reason for the name. Of okay. The Cause they said it, he, he does say something about a walk to remember, but it, oh, he does in the at movie. the very end. Okay. I didn't remember that. Yeah, at the very end, he says it, and yeah, he's standing in the sunlight. It's uh, the epilogue, and that's where he says it, and I'm like, what walk are we talking about? Well, I'm glad that you uh, got so much out of this movie, Scott. Are, are you are you ready to get into the nitty and the gritty? I am ready. <laughs> Just remember, as we go through this, you made me watch Mortal Kombat. <laughs> You wanted to watch Mortal Kombat. I did want to watch Mortal Kombat. Fine. Okay, fine. You made me watch Resident Evil. You made me watch Moulin Rouge. Moulin Rouge is amazing. Okay? That is a romantical, beautiful film. Oscar nominated for Best Picture. I don't know how many times I have to say it. They gave an award to a movie last week that we talked about that was 20 years old. We We did talk about that. However fuck yourself anyway (laughs) so this movie begins with a bunch of douchebag teens in a douchebag team movie being overlaid by a cheesy 2000s pop rock song (laughs) oh my god these characters fucking suck we meet our our main character landon who again is our male lead and he's played by shane west He's been in a lot of TV, I would say, uh, primarily, at least later on in his career. But he has done movies as well. He was Tom Sawyer in the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen movie, Uh, which I knew Scott would know. I've never seen that, but I knew Scott would know it. (laughs) But we meet Landon and his gang of like high school senior douchebag friends. And um, Scott got very concerned because he thought, oh, no, are these people the main characters? They're all horrible. (laughs) And I was like, um, no, just just one of them. It's okay. You know the term fuckboys? <laughs> These are fuckboys. They're for sure fuckboys. To the max. Yeah. If you looked up the definition of fuckboy on Urban Dictionary, <laughs> it would point you to this movie. Right. Okay, that's fair. But I would say that the movie at least tries to paint Landon as not as much of a fuckboy as the other ones. <laughs> It doesn't really work fully, but they try because they they do this whole like hazing thing with this one kid. Like, oh, they go to like this factory or whatever. And beneath the factory is like this small like pond type area. So like here, go on top of this structure, this building and jump off into the water and then you'll be part of our gang or whatever the fuck. You've seen this a hundred billion times before yeah they're hazing the kid the kid does something stupid hurts themselves everybody fucking runs right except landon landon saves the kid and then he runs off gets in his fucking fancy ass cool looking car and drives away and gets into a high-speed chase with the fucking police crashes his car and like breaks his fucking leg and he's caught blah 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 but then as soon as we cut from the scene he basically is like, yeah, 
I got out of the jail because I just lied a bunch. Yeah, he just like wormed his way out of it or whatever, kind of, at least with the police. But the principal basically pulls him aside and is like, listen here, kiddo, you think that what you did was okay? I heard this whole thing started because you were drinking on school property, blah, 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 blah. So he's like, here's the thing. I won't get the police further involved with any investigations if you do this, this, and this. The principal basically says, oh, you got to do like this community service. You got to do like weekend tutoring for these underprivileged kids, I think. And then you got to do janitorial duties and you have to participate in the school play in the spring which is like why yeah why is that one the punishment okay (laughs) it's stupid because in the book literally that doesn't happen at all like it because that's basically this community service is how he ends up getting closer to the female lead of the movie which we'll get to in a hot second because she works in community service you know just because she's like a decent human being and she likes the jesus so in the book it's not a punishment he has to go to like he he, i think it becomes like homecoming king or something and he like has to bring a date but like everyone else is taken so he ends up taking the fucking jesus girl to the dance so not another teen movie kind of but then he ends up really liking her so he wants to impress her so he does like all this community service with her and that's how they get close so it's it's not a punishment i find it odd that they start this whole thing framing it as a punishment to hang out with his romantic lead i find that peculiar i also find it peculiar that uh, the punishment as a former drama kid i was triggered the punishment for bad behavior is you have to be in the school play i found basically the first third of this movie triggering as a former high school student in general but also as a former high school drama kid the cringe was so cringy and so it was traumatizing (laughs) so i want to get into a few things with this beginning the drama club he's just granted the lead role in the drama production that i found less egregious it was a very troy bolton situation where like oh you're the you're the jock you're the popular kid so people will come to see you in the show if like you're the main lead and plus also in traditionally speaking in drama classes in high school there's like maybe an 85 to 15 percent ratio of girls to boys 100 percent. i'm not denying that so shit happens (laughs) but even still there was that one drama boy that we didn't see who is furious he's been there all fucking four years (laughs) of the senior year and he's like i'm gonna get the lead this time and then some fucking dickhead comes in as like community service and like he ends up with the lead because he's the troy bolton of the school exactly yeah no i i can see how that's a problem (laughs) (laughs) and now that so there's also they cut to a church scene because church is really important to this small town community. Oh, yes. This is where we meet uh, our female lead, Jamie, played by Mandy Moore. And the preacher is giving this sermon. So now we're going to give it to the choir who sing about a lighthouse. Now, I went to church <laughs> from the age of about four to about 12. I heard people sing the hymns, all that good shit. Right. I have never. <laughs> I have never, <laughs> never heard a hymn about a lighthouse. Okay. There is no lighthouses that, In are, Jesus's town. that are supposed to be symbols for God's light. 
I mean, it's fine. They wanted to establish right away, I guess, that Mandy Moore is here and she can sing. Uh, just to emphasize Mandy Moore's presence here, like I said before, I think she does a really good job in this movie. This is her first lead role in a film. And uh, she actually, do you remember Princess Diaries? Yes. She was in Princess Diaries. You remember that? She was like the mean girl. She was blonde. Nope. Hey, hey, set me free. Stupid Cupid. Stop picking on me. But uh, I just wanted to mention that she did win an MTV Movie Award for her performance in this movie. So just again reiterating that it's very popular, this movie, with the chitlins. <laughs> so yeah, they give out MTV Movie Awards like Skittles, don't they? Well, in the movie's defense, it also won a Teen Choice Award for Best Chemistry. So that's like a tick in my box of noticeable chemistry. Because the Teen Choice Award. This movie was made for teens, Scott. This movie was made for the tweeny bopper, teeny bopper market. And they awarded it with best chemistry. That's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. I'm not saying that like, you know, they're like the best couple in in the land of cinema. I'm just saying there's a noticeable chemistry between them. I would like to know who else was nominated that year for the teens. Oh my god. But <laughs> do you really want to know? <laughs> I do. As you wish. So there's there's many uh, nominees here for best chemistry in the Teen Choice Awards in 2002. I will name a simple few. Oh god, you're going to be so mad. <laughs> I just read through the list. Okay. So on the list are our classics such as Natalie Portman and Hayden Christensen oh from Attack of the Clones. Oh, God. This one you're going to hate. Well, actually, there's two on here that you're particularly going to hate, Scott. We have Kirsten Dunst and Tobey Maguire for Spider-Man. Oh, come on. <laughs> just to put it out there, that is the movie in which the Upside Down Kiss was born. And um, Mandy Moore and Shane West beat them. So that just tells you the power of the teen romance, okay? And then I think the only non-romantic nominees for choice chemistry, Chris Tucker and Jackie Chan for Rush Hour 2. That should have won. No. Yes. I mean, yes, but no, Scott. A Walk to Remember. No. That should now be A Walk to Remember has beaten Jackie Chan. But like Spider-Man. But, okay, but we're talking about teens here. You got to put yourself... This is what I was telling you last we're night. Talking we're talking about Spider-Man. No, but this is what I was telling you last night when we were watching the movie. The teeny boppers are not watching Spider-Man... Are you shitting for me? For the fucking... No, for the for the romance is what I'm saying. They're not oh. watching it for the romance. They're watching Spider-Man for Spider-Man. It's the... And Green Goblin fucking Willem Dafoe doing his crazy bit. Okay, they're not watching it to watch teens, I'm saying. Like, young teens, they're not watching it. Well, maybe they are watching it for Kristen Dunst. Yes. But but what I'm saying to you is the teeny boppers are watching A Walk to Remember for the teeny bopper romance, which is exactly what we get. So this is is what we got, Scotty. You can't go back. You can't change the past. Or can we? No, we can't. (laughs) Anywho... Uh, what the fuck were we talking about before this? <laughs> we <were> just, <laughs> I don't even remember. We, just we didn't even get past the opening yet. The point <laughs> of this, okay, we've established at this point, Landon's friends are assholes. Landon is also kind of an asshole. And Jamie is a sweet, innocent church girl. And there's a lot of high school cringe in the first third of this movie that is untenable. The African-American best friend who I don't know his name. Eric. Oh, it's Eric? Yeah. 
Okay. And he had also he has a sort of kind of like ex girlfriend Landon, and uh, her name is Belinda. And um, Belinda. That was her name, Belinda. I don't know. Can come up with a more modern sounding, not weird name. I, if your name is Belinda, I'm so sorry. <laughs> I've never met a person named Belinda in my life. I've never even heard of anyone, but whatever. This is our mean crew. Yeah. They mock everybody. You wear a sweater, you get mocked. Oh, they keep, yeah, they keep making fun of fucking Mandy Moore's sweater. And it's like, she wears a sweater. Like, okay. It's a little chilly outside, but not cold enough for a coat. So you wear a sweater. The best time to wear a striped sweater is, is all the, the time. time. <laughs> Oh, the amount of SpongeBob references we make on this show is, like, ridiculous. (laughs) Oh, also, I do feel the need to mention how very high school musical this is in a lot of ways. Because, as you guys know, if you've listened to our review of the original high school musical, please do it because it's great. And Scott hated it. And it was so fun for me. So Landon's part of this popular crew, right? And Landon and Jamie are working together, community service stuff. And like as Jamie and Landon are getting closer, you know, he's getting pressure from his friends. And it's like, oh, like she comes up to him in the hallway in front of his friends, says hi to him. And he's like all rude and nasty to her. And then he's like, oh, I thought we could be secret friends. You know, I want to stick to the status quo. <laughs> would say is like you have to get yourself in that mindset of like being in high school and I realize for many people that's traumatic including myself (laughs) but like just try to put yourself there in like that mindset of like a teenager yeah even still I wasn't this much of a douchebag well you weren't but they existed Scott (laughs) they existed in full form well did they have such elaborate handshakes that ended up with putting cigarettes out on each other Okay, they didn't act... Oh, my God. The, the 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 handshake between Landon and his friend Eric is kind of, like, ridiculous and stupid. And it's funny. It's even funnier because in the beginning, they're, like, they do the secret handshake. And what Scott is referring to is that part of the handshake is they mime that they're smoking weed and then put the cigarette out on each other's shoulders. Like, really... It's, like, really fucking dumb. But... <laughs> The point is, they do that very happily in the beginning of the movie. Like, oh, we're so cool. We got a secret handshake, right? And then, like, throughout the movie, they kind of drift apart as friends because Landon becomes a good guy. And he's like, you guys are assholes. And then towards the end of the movie, Eric comes back. And it's like a very somber, sad moment. And they do the fucking handshake again. But, like, just do it sad. I can just picture the director being like, okay, remember that really fun, silly handshake you guys made up before? Do it now, but do it sad. Do do it with a little puss on your face. (laughs) Do it like slower. (laughs) Like, (laughs) it's so dumb, I can't. But anyway, Jamie basically like rejects Landon's bullshit because she was like helping him memorize his lines and the play and stuff he would go to her house after school and like be nice to her and they would bond she ended up telling him about this bucket list that she had and like wait wait wait, that's a Morgan Freeman movie no no dear it's it's a thing that people do a bucket list is something that like a list of things you want to do before you die but it's a Morgan Freeman Jack Nicholas movie Nicholas Jack Nicholas (laughs) yes dear it's a Jack Nicholas movie I love that Jack Nicholas (laughs) 
he's a real gem anyway Landon does feel bad and he kind of does the work himself essentially he actually starts giving a fuck and he like genuinely wants to help the kids that he's tutoring he studies the play and like really works on his lines and like is trying and they even have like a whole montage of Landon like working on the shit part of the montage is like rehearsals for the play and when I tell you I got flashbacks of high school I I Oh, I shuddered. <laughs> also, she has a whole conversation with Landon on the bus while he has headphones on. They have the music playing that he's supposed to be listening to. I'm like, he shouldn't be able to hear you. Right. I get I get what you're saying. That's kind of a nitpick, though. I think you... I Honestly, Scott, let's be real here, okay? When we were watching this movie, I told you, I said to you, I said, give it, give it a chance. Because you heard Nicholas Sparks and you were like, fuck this shit. I said give it a chance you went in this movie wanting to hate it and you did and i'm i'm proud of you in a way because you said what you were gonna do and you did it that is not true that is absolutely that true. is not true you did not give it i gave a it snowballs chance I, no the movie itself did not give itself a chance <laughs> i gave every chance to fucking turn around and you gave me shit ass fucking fuck boy characters oh <laughs> i gave it a chance the movie did not give itself a chance. Okay. So Scott's obviously very upset, but we're going to try to soldier on. So now we cut to opening night of the play. Landon is the main lead, as we mentioned, and he's on stage and he sees Jamie, who's playing the female lead in the play, of course, and he is shocked because she's pretty. She's wearing makeup and she's got her hair all done up and she's actually beautiful. Oh, oh my, my God. Oh my God. Because, mind you, up to this point, she's a very ho-hum looking girl. I mean, she's still a pretty girl, for God's sake. She's Mandy Moore, but she wears very plain clothes, no makeup, this, that, and the other thing. When Landon sees her on stage and see how dolled up she is, he is you know twitter padded and then she sings and um <laughs> scott was like oh no is this a musical i was like no but they're she's gonna sing the whole damn song because mandy moore is here and she's a singer and uh, by the way usually during a play a character you know that's on stage does something on stage well not necessarily I feel like if they were just going to give her her song, they would like black out the stage, have a spotlight on her and kind of just have the phone. Like he's just sitting there the whole time. Just. Oh, okay. He doesn't. Mouth agaped. Oh, he doesn't weirdly moan like that, though. Oh, <laughs> Okay, well, in the world of the play, Landon's character asks Mandy Moore's character to sing to him, and that's why he's sitting there watching her sing. And in the reality of the movie, Landon is very transfixed by her her beautiful voice and her beautiful face and her beautiful makeup and hair and all that oh. shit. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Please never do that noise ever again in life. Um, <laughs> Jesus Christ. The <laughs> <laughs> the point is, when the song is over, by the way, the song is called Only Hope, and it's sang by Mandy Moore. I pray to be only yours. I know now you're my only hope. Landon, at the end of her song, impulsively kisses Jamie, and it's very sweet and cute. And then the curtains close and you see her father in the audience and he's shitting himself like, oh, fuck. And then <laughs> you see um, Landon's ex-girlfriend Belinda in the audience and she's pissed. But um, once we got to the play onward, this is where I started to genuinely like the movie and like 
remember the good things that I loved about it as a as a as a youngin growing up. Things are still a little weird and tense between Jamie and Landon, but they are still clearly into each other. He buys her a new pink sweater to try and woo her. But then there's kind of this penultimate moment of their relationship that kind of really brings them closer together. Belinda, being the cunt that she is, decides that she's going to pull this horrible prank on Jamie. So, oh, this is one of the worst edits in the entire fucking movie. Belinda and the two other friends are having this, like, talk, and Belinda's clearly saying something, and they fade out of the sentence. This is fucking Birdemic all over again. They, they do a lot of cuts in the middle of scenes, sometimes, like Scott said, in the middle of sentences, and then pan right back up to the same conversation. It's very, it's weird. But this one, they, like, cut to, like, Photoshop, because Photoshop was a new thing in 2002, all they did was like cut out Jamie's face, tape it to a swimsuit model, and just make copies of it and spread it around the school with the title with the caption Virgin Mary. Yeah. Jamie kind of realizes what's going on. They they have this great scene with her where she's kind of hyperventilating and she's freaking out and she goes to run out of the cafeteria and Landon kind of catches her and is like, whoa, 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 wait, what happened? And he sees the flyer and he ends up punching one of his friends in the fucking face and just leaving with Jamie and wanting to protect her. Oh, it's it, was, just, it was a very sweet moment. Oh, I it's hysterical. He punches the guy. I thought it was a sweet moment. He's like, yeah, it's fucking hysterical. He punches his, his friend in the face. And his friend goes, what the fuck, man? You want to fight? And Landon's like standing there like, okay, let's go. And the guy goes, you're such a fucking coward, man. You won't fight me. You're chicken shit. You're chicken shit. We're done. After this whole ordeal, Landon drives Jamie home, asks her on a date. She says, well, I would like to, but I can't date. I'm not allowed. So then Landon proceeds to go to the church and ask Jamie's father's permission to date Jamie. And at first, he's like, no. And then he he's, persists. And then he, and then he goes, why do you have to be so rude? <laughs> I'm going to marry her anyway. <laughs> Spoiler alert, that's exactly what he does. Uh, but he goes, father, father. Oh, God. Don't you teach that you have to have faith. So have faith in me. Faith is the buzzword of the movie, faith. for sure. You got to have faith. Anyway, so they go on a date. <laughs> faith. And um, this first date of theirs is absolutely adorable. They get on the topic of like the whole bucket list thing again, and he says that he made his own list. And like number one on his list is to get out of town, get out of this measly little town that they live in. And a good part about this is that's not really talked about a lot when this movie is brought up. Like she encourages him to actually like do something with his life. She's like, oh yeah, you can get out of town and do whatever, but like you have to have a plan of what you're going to do with your life. So like, what do you want to do? You have to think about what you want to do. And like, you can do so many great things. Da, 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 da. He takes her out and about and he wants to um, accomplish some things on her bucket list. So one of the things on the bucket list is she wants to be in two places at once. So she takes her to the state line, tells her to put one foot there and one foot there. And then she's like, okay, you're right. In, you're right in between the state line between the state and that state. Congratulations. You're in two places at once. And it's like the cutest fucking thing in the world. And I had to point at Scott at this point. I'm like, you got to admit that was cute. Yeah, that was cute. They kiss and he tells her that he loves her. And she clearly, when he says that, is kind of shell-shocked. But literally right at that point, though, Scott turned to me and he's like, oh, she's dying, isn't she? I'm like, yeah. <laughs> How'd you know? Because <laughs> it's a Nicholas Sparks movie, so somebody's got to die. So Landon and Jamie start dating. They are exclusive <gasps> and they are adorable, I think. <gasps> you know, Scott 
having a, a high school romance who he eventually married and, and vowed to love forever and ever. Clearly, he has no personal connection with their story being a high school couple that fell in love. So, I mean, why would he think that they were at all full of chemistry and cuteness? No, I mean, hey, hey, dead inside. Hey, dead hey, inside. Hey, hey, I was not a fuckboy. Let's get this no straight. No one's saying you're a fuckboy. No, uh, well, you know, you just basically said I should connect with fucking Landon, I'm who's saying, a piece of shit I'm who paralyzed saying, the well, kid. No, he's he the, didn't paralyze the kid. The kid is fine. He fell the, in the water. He's he fine. is the spinner of this movie. No, he's not. He's absolutely not because the kid's not paralyzed and you're laughing at me because you want me to start this whole thing with Degrassi again and I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to take the bait, Scott, okay? <laughs> Especially since you haven't even watched Degrassi. This motherfucker hasn't even watched Degrassi. He don't even know. He don't even know the pain. But anyway, they're dating and whatever, and they're having a lovely time together. And one night, Jamie is a little distant, and Landon asks her what's wrong. And she tearfully tells him, and I actually really liked her performance in this scene. She tells him that she is sick. And not just like, oh, I got a tummy ache sick. She unfortunately a couple of years ago was diagnosed with leukemia and she has stopped responding to treatment. It's a, it's a very sad scene. And like it, that's what I meant by like realism. I felt like Mandy Moore's performance in particular in this scene, it could have very easily been a hundred times over the top. Yeah. And she, I felt, I mean, she, she cried, but like, it wasn't like, you know, obnoxious, like screaming and sobbing. And it seemed realistic to me. It seemed like a good performance. Yeah. After the scene, we cut to Landon just driving in the night. Uh, he seems very determined to get somewhere. And over this determined, upset Landon driving in the car in the nighttime, we get the song Dare You to Move by Switchfoot. You guys may be thinking, oh, geez, I haven't heard that song in a million years. What the fuck? This is crazy. And that's basically what Scott was saying during the movie. It's interesting because the band of Switchfoot contributed multiple songs to this film soundtrack, including Only Hope, which is the Mandy Moore song that uh, she sang during the play. Mandy Moore apparently was a big fan of them, and she suggested them to help with the film soundtrack and um, they were not mainstream at the time at all so really a walk to remember catapulted switchfoot for their brief stint of, of fame in the early 2000s i think they really only had dare you to move and maybe like one or two more songs that were like big and then they kind of drifted away with a lot of other artists from the early 2000s but landon is driving furiously in the nighttime to go see his father he bangs on his door in the middle of the night and says, my girlfriend, she's sick, she has cancer, I need you to help her. And the father, it's interesting because as a kid, I saw this scene very differently than I did as an adult. As a kid, I was like, oh my God, his dad's an asshole. He left his family and now he won't even help his son because his girlfriend's dying. Da, da, da. And then as an adult, I watched the scene and the guy's like, hey, I, I, like, I'm really, I know nothing about her case. I'm a cardiologist. Like, I don't know how I can really help her. And he like angrily kind of storms off and tearfully drives his car all the way back home and he's very upset 
Jamie kind of has distanced herself from him and Landon makes it clear like he's not going anywhere and he's here for her so she goes to meet up with him and apologizes to him for not telling him sooner and they have a really tearful sweet scene here where she's like I'm I'm very scared I don't I'm I'm freaking out I don't want to I don't want to lose you and he tells her that's not going to happen and they hug and they make up and it's, it's sweet damn it Scott feel things <laughs> just feel something damn it well it, it, it again it's a nice moment it is it, it's it's nice again the scene in another movie probably would have been way over the top and way like I'll never leave you I'll be with you till the day you die oh my god or something of the sort but, but the reason it works is because of their line reading <laughs> no <laughs> Jamie and Landon's sandwiches <laughs> You can't even admit they have chemistry. <laughs> no, they have. They, again, they do have chemistry. It's uh-huh. it's okay chemistry. Uh-huh. It's like middle. Of, but the fact that they beat Kirsten Dunst and Tobey Maguire. Get okay. the fuck out okay. of here. Get over it, Scott. It's 2002. We're now in 2022. <sighs> Tobey Maguire and Kirsten Dunst are doing just fine. Are they? They are. <laughs> <laughs> well, Tobey Maguire is. I don't know. What well, Kirsten Dunst just got nominated for an Oscar. So she's doing Did just she? fine. Yes. For Power of the Dog. Oh, that's right. You have not watched it yet, but you will because it's probably going to win Best Picture. Anyway, they make up, Landon and Jamie, and she ends up in the hospital. Landon, of course, is at her bedside the whole time. We have kind of a a completed arc with Landon and his father because Landon's father, uh, Landon finds out, has paid for Jamie to receive at-home care so she potentially doesn't have to die in a fucking hospital so that's nice landon ends up uh, he sits jamie down and proposes marriage to her and uh again this leads to like more sweetness and and saccharineness um because jamie at one point mentioned the number one thing on her bucket list was to get married in the same church that her parents got married and that's precisely what they do they get married in the mom's church oh and this leads to the worst editing in the entire movie it it really was almost distracting they were playing a a version of only hope sung by switchfoot during the wedding ceremony which was cute but it was totally anything lovey-dovey and sweet in that scene was undercut by the ridiculous editing so that they're reading their vows to each other and they're cutting back and forth but like overlapping them so they're talking over each other so we're not really hearing what they're saying and it's just back and forth back and forth there must have been at least 20 cuts here yeah in the span of 10 seconds and the thing is that that's not the only scene where that kind of shit happens like scott was saying it happened multiple times throughout the movie just the weird editing style that they were doing and I don't, I don't think it was like an early 2000s thing because a lot of things you can look at, not in just early 2000s movies, but like, you know, 80s movies had their own kind of tropes and style that they kind of did. Sometimes you look at something you're like, oh, that's definitely the 80s. Oh, that's definitely the 90s. This, I don't think is an early 2000s thing. It's just a fucking stupid editing thing. Oh, it's a dumb editing thing. Like, don't Which I me- don't even know what the purpose of it was. Don't get me wrong. Early 2000s did like its fast speed cuts. Oh, for sure. Cuts, yes. But this was, this was overkill. Editing is like anything else in a movie as far as technical stuff. There's, there's reasons behind it. Yeah. And if, you know, even if the cutting is fast and crazy, if there's a purpose behind it, then 
yeah. you know, then it's okay. Usually, if it like, makes sense in the t- context of the movie. Usually, you do something like this is if you're either trying to be frantic or you're trying to show like passage of time, a passage of time, yeah. or you're trying to show like they're telling the plan and this is like the b- right. b- like in Ocean's Eleven where it's like boom, 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 boom right. as he as Danny Ocean is narrating what the fucking plan is. Right. I don't know what the purpose was. Maybe it was just because like. We, we got we got wrapped this up. We got we got well, finish. that. But I was gonna say maybe it was because they knew they were targeting teens, and maybe they figured teens have less of an attention span. So we have to like have something happen on screen to like wake everybody up and make like remind. Oh, we're still watching a movie. We're in it. We're in it. You know what I mean? Maybe it was as simple and kind of stupid as that. I don't really know. Yeah. But, but this, yeah, this is where unfortunately, well, not unfortunately for the narration. The narration is fine, but narration does take over here from Landon, and uh, he says that he and Jamie were married for the summer, and she unfortunately died after the summer was over, and uh, it cuts to four years later, and Landon comes back to the to their town and. He has graduated college and is going into medical school and he goes to visit Jamie's dad and um, they're talking and he says to Jamie's father, I'm sorry that Jamie never got her miracle because she talks about faith and miracles a lot throughout the movie. She even in, in their yearbook, I thought they had like school quotes or whatever, but apparently in their yearbook they had ambition. So it was Jamie's picture and then it said ambition to witness a miracle and when Landon says that, the dad goes back at him and says, oh, I think I think she did witness a miracle. That was you. You were her miracle. And it was very schmaltzy and very sweet and saccharine, like, you know, pretty much this entire movie. It's and miracle. No, it's not miracle. I, I would rather watch this than miracle again. Sorry. You are out of your goddamn you know, mind. I'm sorry. Go check out our review of Miracle. But... The kind of last little chunk of narration from Landon to wrap the movie up. He compares Jamie's love to the wind. Jamie saved my life. I'll always miss her. But her love is like the wind. I can't see it. But I can feel it. And then the music swells and the credits roll and Scott was like, that was a big ass waste of time. (laughs) But um, just, I know you're going to hate this even more, (laughs) which is why I'm going to tell you. In the book, in the beginning and at the end, in quote unquote present day, it's 40 years later and he's he still says that he loves Jamie and he still wears his wedding ring 40 years later. He likes that trope, doesn't he? That somebody from the future telling the story of the past to the... Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, that, that's the notebook, too. You're right. But, um, yeah, that was A Walk to Remember. That was? From the great year of 2002. Scott. Yes. Um, I, I, I shudder to think of the answer to this, but how did you rate A Walk to Remember? Yeah, it's a two or a two and a half, so it's a 2.25. But where, where did you end up landing on Letterboxd? Hmm? I ended up landing at 2.5. Honestly, as much as I meant to be funny, this podcast is meant to be funny. I'm having a good time with all of you as fans. Yes. The movie's fine. I'm not going to remember the movie. Oh, how ironic. I'm not. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, this will not be a walk that I remember. You asked me about this movie in like two months. I'm not going to be able to tell you the story. 
uh, I'll just be like, it's a girl who died, and Aww. that's the story, basically. <laughs> that's so mean. <laughs> um, I I went on a journey with this rewatch. Again, I hadn't seen it in years. I looked on this movie very fondly at a very different point in my life, a very a much younger point in my life. I still liked the movie. Before rewatching it, I had it rated as a three and a half. I have changed that rating. I bumped it down to a three because I still do like it, but I I am forced, unfortunately, to acknowledge the fact that this movie has a lot of problems and is incredibly dated and incredibly schmaltzy, sometimes to its detriment, although I do think that overall the chemistry between Mandy Moore and Shane West carries the movie through and still makes you care about the characters. Um, I would also say that the book was better than the movie. If you're feeling in a, a romance book kind of mood, which, you know, around this time of love, it's understandable if you do, um, you know, feel free to, to pick it up. It's a pretty short book, so it's kind of like a quick and, and uh, light little teen romance. It's cute. And even if you want to watch the movie, yeah... Kind of the same thing. It's despite it, the cancer and everything. It's it's kind of light it's, until it's, it's not. But then even then, it's kind of sweet. It, it's fine. There are worse things to watch on Valentine's Day. So that was Walk to Remember. I feel I feel good about the rewatch. I know Scott doesn't feel good about watching it for the first time, but that's okay. I'm sure you'll get your revenge on me. Well, next week I'm actually excited about your next week takeover. Yes, next week is the final. Uh, book adaptation film that we will be watching uh, and we will have a special guest with us as well i'm very excited about it it's uh, a totally different genre from the first two that we talked about and a, a pretty f- infamous author so i'm super excited to rewatch the movie and reread the book which i have pretty much done i'm almost done with it so i'm very excited but until then this has been shoot the flick I'm Frankie Sparks. And I'm Scott Eisenberg. Make sure you check us out on Twitter and Instagram at Shoot the Flick and check out our weekly episodes every single Wednesday on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and iHeartRadio, and pretty much anywhere else you can find a podcast. And make sure you come back next week for our hot rodding, super slick movie adventure. That's a hint there, kids. I dare you.